0: Welcome back to season three episode five of Life Beyond Loss the podcast. This is a guest show where we share amazing and inspiring stories of how people are navigating grief and loss through to healing and transformation. I'm your host Louise Kresic, grief and loss coach and today I'm talking to Maxine Cook. She is a psychologist and she's a sleep disorder treatment specialist and it's been amazing to be able to have Maxine on the show. Um, This came as a specific request from one of our community members who wanted to know more about how to deal with sleep deprivation and getting enough quality sleep during difficult times in their life. And so, in this interview, it's really really super helpful. We talk about you know what good quality sleep actually means and what we need, but also also Maxine explains how you know what happens during times of grief and significant life changes and why our sleep is affected so much. She also talk, talks about her own story losing her parents and um, having experienced some hormonal disruption and the impact this had on our health. And we talk really, really interestingly about the role of mainstream medicine and how this could really help alongside complementary therapies. Of course, there's the usual tips as well. And this is a really fascinating episode, so stay tuned. Joined on today's show by Maxine Cook who is a psychologist and sleep disorder treatment specialist and felt very privileged to have kind of found Maxine and come across Maxine because I know um, the listeners have talked quite often about sleep and how it affects them around grief and loss and Maxine I'm so glad I found you because I've been looking for an expert for quite some time so welcome to the show (laughs) thank you very much thanks for the opportunity um so yeah so why don't we just start off by um just sharing a little bit actually about um what a sleep disorder treatment specialist does (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. Well, there's a lot of different factors that contribute to people not sleeping well. There's different types of insomnia that affect different people in different ways at different times and for different reasons. So mm. it's a case really of identifying exactly what, what someone is struggling with and what the underlying causes of that might be. And sometimes it's hormonal. Sometimes it's lifestyle. Sometimes it's brainwave misalignment, which enable doesn't enable people to go down to the baseline level of sleep they're supposed to go to or circadian rhythms are out of whack it could be a combination of several of those factors if not all of them and I tend to see people who've had sleep problems for a long time who have perhaps been self-medicating in different ways some of which are not appropriate and they've become their sleep problem has become habitual um, and and not possible for them to fix by themselves
0: perfect description I've got it it. Um, And there is, but there's a lot of, it's, there's a lot about this to understand, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned kind of, you know, rhythms and things like that. And it just kind of obviously flows off the tongue because you're so used to it. But actually, you know, there's a general lack of understanding, I think, from the, you know, the average person like me, about what actually is involved in sleep, and, you know, how that can affect
1: quality of sleep and so on. Right, well, as walking little miracles of science, we are designed, we are programmed biologically to go to a certain level of sleep, which I call the theta wave level of sleep, where our organs, including our brain, have the chance to rest and recuperate and regenerate to allow us to wake up with some energy to be able to get through the day. And for a lot of people, that's just not happening because life gets in the way, we get stressed, we get busy, and we're just not kind of getting to that level. And it's starting to have a very very big impact on the lives and the lifespan of of far too many people
0: Mm. it's interesting isn't it it's um so do you think like the way in which we function now like society in general is having that that impact? its change of lifestyle or maybe increase in stress i don't know Uh,
1: It's a combination of factors we are a lot more stressed just in the course of our daily lives but diet is also a big factor you know what we're eating things like the time of day that we're eating it's all really a lot of it goes back to the changes we've had to make in order to just live what now is classed as a normal life. Mm.
0: And obviously most of the people the clients that I work with are in the midst of um, grief and have experienced some kind of loss and this seems to be a common thing that they they struggle with it's it's being able to get to sleep get enough sleep why do you think that is
1: well it's mainly when people are grieving or suffering or coming to terms with a major traumatic event like a loss or well it it might not necessarily even be a bereavement it could be just a major life change like the loss of a marriage or a relationship the loss of a home um, it's all to do with the, the hormonal fluctuations that occur because when we're under stress, different neurotransmitters, different brain chemicals kick in that interfere with what we call a homeostasis, which is the body's baseline level of optimal functioning, and a lot of things can go out of kilter. Um, and it's basically it's it's no one's fault. And, and trying to say to someone, "I'll snap out of it," you know, "time heals all mm. wounds," blah, blah, all of these platitudes aren't going to help because there's actually a biological cocktail of dysfunction going on that needs to be looked at and and readdressed Mm. so it's it's a it's a normal it's a normal biological response to an overload of an overloading stressful event and i hope
0: you don't mind me asking you this but i just wondered whether you'd had any personal experience of um you know this kind of thing and make you know your experiences of sleep and how that
1: might have been you know affected you yeah well i mean <laughs> and I look, I'm, I'm 59 so when i look back on my life there's lots and lots and lots of loss but mm. the biggest one i think the biggest one that's impacted me for my entire life is the loss of my my nuclear family my parents mm. um in terms of the relationships that we had my family was very dysfunctional there was violence there was drinking all sorts of things mm. and i guess i just grew up grieving what i hadn't had what i what i thought i should have had as a child and that's carried through all my life. I've had hormonal disruption all my life. Um, I'm also grieving the loss of, um, well, I was grieving the loss of my health. And consequently, everything that I have had to come to terms with has impacted on me very keenly because of that first primary long standing sense of loss of you know, feeling secure and and feeling loved and wanted and all of those things that just weren't there. And you kind of, you get to a point where you know that they should be and you know that they're not, but it's how you manage that. And for too many people, managing loss is is something that they don't get much help with. It's something that a lot of people find it hard to talk about. and, And I couldn't talk about it for decades actually. And it ultimately culminated in me losing my health about four years ago I was being treated for all kinds of things I was on all kinds of medications the doctors just didn't know what was wrong with me they weren't linking symptoms and ultimately I woke up in a hotel room in Ireland on holiday with my husband and I felt so rough I thought I just I'm not going to survive another year my weight had increased my blood pressure had gone through the roof everything was just getting worse and worse and all the doctors were doing was throwing more drugs at me to just manage me rather than get to the root cause of what was wrong. So I ultimately went to see um, an alternative practitioner Kinesiologist who diagnosed me with a long standing gluten intolerance of all things. So it was at a stage, it was at a critical stage where all my organs were failing. My body just wasn't coping with it and I was literally dying on my feet. So that turned my life around and what it taught me was that I had a lot, I had a big message and a lot of compassion for dealing with people who were going through the same thing. Mainstream medical practice is failing a lot of people and they're really frustrated. They're, They're at their wits end. They don't want to be taking drugs. There needs to be another way. So I went back and retrained in all these different therapies so that I could help people before they got to the stage that I got to when my life was literally in the balance wow that's quite a story <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that, there, but that's nutshell yeah. vision and, and it's really interesting
0: isn't it because I, I was recently on some um, mental health first aid training and we talked about um, how you know in, at the moment there's tendency to want to medicalise everything when it's like on, happening on an emotional level so you go to the doctors and obviously they try to use some kind of ticklish or put it into a box of some kind yeah. and, every, and like you say then the prescription comes out and it's, 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 it's really odd that we haven't moved forward as a society in dealing
1: and approaching these things differently. Well, I think now because the, the NHS is so overburdened and under-resourced, the, 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 mm-hmm. this is like a management policy. It's a blanket management policy of of keeping people at a certain level so that they don't get any worse. But the resources are diminishing really quickly in terms of being able to actually fix people. And until mainstream medicine acknowledges the the efficacy of complementary therapies, then we're not going to change anything because complementary therapies have been around for thousands of years and they've, they've worked for all that time. But the advent of the drug boom, we forgot about those, but there's still an option and they're a really good option because they do work um, and, and we just need to kind of start going back to some of that because different things work for different people there is no one size fits all Mm -hmm. some people will do okay on a sleeping tablet for a while others it it will just mess with their heads and create more problems there's no one approach that's going to suit everybody and and that's why the work that i do is so important because it's tailored to the individual we look at individual circumstances and we put the appropriate interventions in place to to help get things back on track because sleep is the fundamental cornerstone of well-being and particularly for people who are grieving because if they're not sleeping that's a hormonal block to to getting down to that baseline level and and that they're just feeling wretched they're not they're not coming to terms with the grief at all they're just feeling worse and worse and if we can fix the sleep that's the cornerstone of beginning to fix everything else that's wrong
0: absolutely it's just so like people underestimate how vital sleep is don't they um you know with everything else that's going on that lack of sleep i think really is a big contributing factor to it's
1: it's the most important thing to get right no matter what's going on but for people who are grieving people who are dealing with a high level of stress that that time for adequate rest and rejuvenation is critical to the brain and to organ function So how did, um, and we'll come back to that in a minute,
0: because I'm really interested to see, you know, how we kind of approach that, how we deal with it then. But
1: how did you sort of navigate your own recovery? Well, I realised fairly early on that my sleep was majorly disrupted. and, And in the course of my training that I'd done many, many years ago, I knew how important sleep was. So for me, I, I had to do a lot of stuff because I also menopause is another big thing that messed with all my hormones and stopped me from sleeping. I had to reset everything: my brainwave patterning, my circadian rhythms. I had to look at various different lifestyle factors, how I was sabotaging my own sleep without realizing we're doing that. And you know, all of us do that. We don't we don't realize what what we're creating in terms of barriers for ourselves just in the way that we live, and and make some major adjustments to to how I you know what time of the night i ate my food when i had my last cup of coffee all kinds of different things and you know not medicating trying to use alcohol as a as a sleep promoter because that really is catastrophic that doesn't work and most people don't understand the science behind that but it's just kind of looking at what I needed to do what my body and my brain needed in terms of support to get me through that phase and back to a place where I could sleep well and I got I went from having 10 hours sleep a night and waking up feeling like I'd had two to to getting like seven hours and waking up feeling like I'd had 10 so it's all about the quality and there is so so much that we can do to help to help ourselves with our sleep, and it's surprisingly easy to correct a sleep imbalance as long as we know what we're dealing with and as long as the commitment is there to making it changed. So how much sleep do we actually need? Is there like a set amount, or is it a case of it's different for, like you said, different people? Yeah, well it it is different for different people and it depends on, it also depends on what they're dealing with in their lives people dealing with stress or grief or loss are going to need more sleep because their bodies have been knocked around by hormones, neurotransmitters dysfunctional patterns of eating, and and other things that they've fallen into in response to that stress are going to need more sleep. People whose lives are fairly well settled and there isn't too much to be dealing with day to day, you know, they probably need a little bit less. But as a benchmark, seven and a half to eight hours sleep a night is what we should all be aiming for. But it's about the quality more than Mm. the quantity, really. So how can you tell if you're actually having quality sleep? Well, if you have quality sleep, you're waking up feeling like you've got some energy to get through the day. You're, you're waking feeling like you would want to feel, um, not stressed or or in pain or you, uh, unable to concentrate on anything. Just just feeling like like you want to feel, you know, with, with the energy and, and enthusiasm for the day, and not feeling the urge to kind of fall asleep mid-afternoon is is a big big factor for most people actually because the the digestive process is kicking in about three o'clock in the afternoon that's why we all want to curl up in a little ball under (laughs) our table and go to sleep but
0: yeah so yeah I have to say one of the ways I've I've seem to have managed that is um, my diet so I noticed that when I ate things like bread for lunch it was making me feel quite lethargic
1: yeah because the the body's got to work that much harder to digest those complex carbohydrates
0: So um so yeah
1: it's like you say it's looking at it's looking at this as a whole isn't it really it is. The piecemeal approach doesn't work. You could say, oh, well, I you know, take these herbal teas because they help. But if that's all you're doing, that's only addressing the symptom of the sleeplessness. So It's about getting to the bottom of it. And you're right. You're absolutely right, Louise. It's a holistic approach that's needed. You've got to attack it from all fronts <laughs> for want of a better term. But you know, getting everything sorted at the same time is the best way forward in terms of fixing sleep and keeping it fixed. So just um, very briefly then I think it would
0: be good if you could just perhaps walk us through so um, if I say if I came to you as a potential client I just maybe experienced grief um, I felt like I wasn't sleeping very well had a few hours what where, where would you start and
1: what would be like the journey that you'd perhaps walk me through. Well, with all my clients, I go through, I, we start with a very comprehensive assessment, which takes about an hour and a half. It's, it, it looks at lifestyle, it looks at environmental factors, and biological, medical factors. So it's a full history of where you've come from, how you've got to where you are, and how life is looking for you at the moment. And then we talk about what. Um, what symptoms you've got, how your body is responding, what your skin is like, because that's a big barometer of what's going on hormonally as well. So there's a very comprehensive assessment, and then we determine what your issues are specifically like. If you're you're falling asleep really easily but having trouble staying asleep, that to me talks... Talks of like brain reset, brainwave reset patterning. You're not getting down to that baseline level of sleep that you're supposed to go to where you'll stay there. But if you're waking up in pain or you've got inflammation, that's another, that's a different issue. Um, so it's really just dependent on, on what you present with and what your symptoms are and also your emotional state, how you're feeling about it in terms of how quickly we can make things we can make things better and turn everything around. So it's it's, it's always very individual for, for individual people. The assessment process identifies the different issues that people are facing and the different ways in which they're either supporting themselves or sabotaging themselves. And we pretty much take it forward from there because there's a range of interventions that can be used. But a lot of it too, I mean, that's why it's psychology as well as sleep disorder treatment because it's a lot of it is, is cognitive a lot of cognitive changes need to be made just just reframing just and it's never anything major Louise it's never like a huge overhaul of your lifestyle it's basically just tweaks and rebalances of things that you're doing or the things that you're thinking to kind of get you into a better place where the treatment's likely to work.
0: Fantastic I love that like the little tweaks and (laughs) well it's just so treasonly I suppose it's just um it doesn't necessarily mean that this is like you know some we have to go like really deep into the you know certain situations it's just about addressing those those minor things and getting
1: things into balance, I guess, isn't it? Well, um, one of my, I'll just give you a quick example one of my clients was, was he came to me because he, he hadn't been sleeping he'd been on Zopiclone for a couple of years one of the most significant things that was wrong in his life was that he was eating too late at night, he was having his evening meal about 10 o'clock at night and then expecting to go to sleep and rest when really what he was asking his body to do was work half the night to digest his food, so he was waking up feeling exhausted mm-hmm. um, in pain um, and so we, we just modified his, his eating and, and brought him back to half past seven in the evening <laughs> and that by itself was, was, a, was a huge potential change um, but, he, but he did that and it, and it made a huge amount of difference just that one thing and there were other things of course it wasn't that simple but that was a major a major positive outcome from a minor change. and And sometimes it is that simple
0: yeah and it's so easy i think for lots of people to fall into habits
1: like that isn't it i think without even really realizing the impact yeah it's it's people that give themselves that gives their brains the wrong signals about what bed is for people will go to bed and read people will go to bed and play on their phones or their laptops or watch tv and that's telling the brain that they're not that bed's not sleep so yeah it's basically a lot of it is just habits it's habitual behaviors that have become you know our normal which we don't realize are having such a huge impact on our ability to get the rest we need to lead better lives and long-term sleep dysfunction long-term sleeplessness literally does shorten the lifespan guilty of the
0: phone guilty oh stop (laughs) Stop. Stop. (laughs) yourself half
1: an hour yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I've also, spe- I have known people, and I know. They, well, actually, I say people. One of the person I know of is only the same as me, and that they could actually just fall asleep, kind of like fairly easy. And I, and I feel that sleep's something I kind of do okay with. But that um, going on the phone and putting into my gratitude app, I'm almost like falling asleep. It's almost like a sort of a calming behavior but whether that's because of the fact that I actually have anxiety so it's kind of maybe having a sort of slightly different effect and like you say different things affect people in different ways don't they so it's
1: yeah they do and the fact that you're falling asleep quickly after doing that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting down to that baseline because the brain, as sophisticated as the brain is, it it creates habits for us that that we didn't ask it to. Like, for example, if you have had to wake up early for a couple of mornings um, earlier than usual and then you find that you're just doing that when you don't need to, that that can be incredibly frustrating. But as sophisticated as the brain actually is, it really isn't that great at identifying exactly what we need. And if we've gone out of that hole circadian rhythm brainwave repatterning habit of, of, of good quality sleep then we actually have to retrain the brain to do that but the great news is that within 66 days or so the brain has learned a new habit and dumped an old one so it's easy to fix and for you going to sleep um, your, your sleep is probably okay but maybe you're not getting down to that baseline level because what blue lights do there's interfere with the neurotransmitters and I when I describe it to clients it's like standing on a diving board and looking into the water mm. and it looks fine but you dive into the water and you hit a concrete block because that concrete block is the barrier between your wakefulness and in a baseline a normal level of sleep but it's the block that stops you from going down to that rejuvenative theta wave
0: oh i see so do you think the um so you can get like the there's lots of digital products now isn't there that people wear as well do you think they're kind of accurate do you think they will help people to understand their quality of sleep
1: well i think some things are helpful but only up to a point i think you know if you're talking about electronic stuff that people Mm -hmm. wear that, that it actually has its own vibrational frequency everything is matter and everything has a frequency So there's still, I guess the jury's still out on what impact those particular frequencies have on your brainwave frequencies. Um, so it's a difficult question to answer without seeing any any research, um, results of research. And, and I think in some ways, it's great to have that information and it's great to have that, um, it's like things like um, the, the Fitbits that people wear. I think they are helpful, but I just, I'm not, I'm not really sure whether or not we're in, in full control of, of our own decisions with that stuff because sometimes it's not particularly accurate and sometimes it can scare us sometimes it can falsely reassure us so it's got its place but I I think in terms of reliance on it I think that's a dangerous place to be blind faith with anything is is never a good place to be
0: yeah, I agree. I did see quite a funny comedy sketch once on Facebook that was um a group of women and they were sort of like e coming out for, for a drink and she's like, Oh no, my Fitbit says I can't. So it's like that that yeah. you know, like over reliance.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it it's like sat navs now. I mean research <laughs> is coming out now to say that a certain part of our uh, our reasoning and logic within our brain is actually shrinking because we're not we're not figuring things out anymore. We're just being told what to do. So our capacity for um, for learning new things um, and, and finding our way in the world is diminishing, which is a bit of a worry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So have you, so what, I know you said that this is, you know, very much a holistic approach and it depends very much on what people need, but do you have any kind of like, you know, basic tips, things that, you know, we should all maybe be thinking about when it comes to getting um, quality sleep and getting enough sleep?
1: Absolutely. Sleep hygiene is really important. And that's the term given to the situation around how you sleep. It's not just about cleanliness, it's about habits. And I think for most people going to bed and getting up at the same time of day, each day, even on the weekends is really important. So if they set themselves a normal pattern of rest, for me, it's sort of um, half past ten to half past seven so that's nine hours um, but it, you know and, and, and there's a little you can have a little bit of leeway in that but if even on the weekend the temptation to sleep late is is not helpful to circadian rhythm so getting up at the same time of day going to bed at the same time of the evening having a bedtime ritual and this is really important for people who are struggling to drop off having a bedtime ritual where you spend say half an hour getting ready for bed preparing for bed um, putting on some nice nice Nightwear and washing your face, putting a nice cream on, making sure you've done your hair, all of those things that make you feel good about yourself to go to bed feeling positive. Take the TV out of the bedroom. If you need to read before bed to fall asleep, and a lot of people do, do that in your living room. Sit in a comfortable chair and read until you feel sleepy and then go to bed because that tells the brain that when you're going to bed, you're going there to sleep. And that's a really important thing for the brain to acknowledge and work with. Don't eat too late at night. Don't eat spicy food late at night, especially avoid alcohol uh, at least three hours before bedtime because that's another concrete block in the water, believe it or not. Um, and, And just basically just observing a normal pattern of bedtime routine. And making sure your room is ventilated, it's not too hot or too cold, making sure that your your, your, your sheets and, and your blankets or duvet are comfortable for you and not too heavy or, or not heavy enough making sure that your room is as dark as it needs to be because we, the brain releases melatonin at nightfall, which is the hormone that prepares us for sleep. This is a hormone that's, that's severely compromised when other raging hormones around grief and loss start to come into play. It short-circuits that melatonin's ability. So keeping your room as dark and as well ventilated and as comfortable as you can, um, They're all really important things that most people do, and also levels of hydration. You don't have to drink a bucket load of water before you go to bed, but keep some water by the bed, and if you do wake in the night, just take a few sips, because we need a lot more water than we think we do for our organ function to be working at its optimal level while we're sleeping, because... The organs are still busy, you know, while we're sleeping, (laughs) doing different things. And we need to just support them the best way possible so that we're not waking up feeling hydrated or in pain with inflammation through dehydration, which is a big factor for a lot of people. They kind of wake up feeling like they've been hit by a truck. And that's generally, um, barring other medical conditions that are coming into play, that is generally a dehydration issue.
0: Fantastic! That was jam-packed full of tips and um, <laughs> loads of loads of fantastic. You have to
1: play it back a few times to hear it all, but, but yeah, yeah essentially, essentially, habits play a huge, huge part in in how well people sleep or not.
0: Yes, definitely. And like you say, it's all about, I guess, sending the right signals to the brain in preparation for sleep as well, isn't it? Um yeah. and cre- and also creating the right conditions as well. Um, I did see another. <laughs> another funny meme not that i spend my life looking at memes on facebook but there was one about two types of people and um the one that kind of just could like sleep on a washing line or whatever or fall asleep which is yeah. me and then the one that has to have like the perfect conditions which is my husband's so he have to have the right amount of darkness the right amount of temperature all of those can condi- it, it just kind of made me chuckle um yeah. well my yeah. husband
1: was that too and he's still a very light sleeper but I've worked on him a bit and I'm continuing to do that, he's a work in progress <laughs> but he's, he's getting there but I mean most of us can overcome the external variables it's just a case of, of of knowing what to do to support ourselves And a lot of people find it's helpful if there's external noise, just sleep with some foam earplugs that don't hurt the ears and that can make a big difference too, especially in times of trauma um, and loss where people are sort of hyper vulnerable mm-hmm. and they just need to be able to blot out some of that external noise that otherwise would just stop them from falling asleep or staying there
0: yeah well i think this has been fantastic maxine and obviously we need to tell people where they can find you as well because
1: in case they want to come and you know seek you out and get some advice and so on (laughs) right well my website is maxinecook.com and on there people can find a lot of information about my backstory, about my eth- ethos and my beliefs around what I do. And there's um, there's a dedicated page there to sleep that people can read and they can contact me through the website. And you are I think you're you're on
0: Facebook, aren't you? Yeah. I am. I yeah. called Sleep Health Power fantastic thank you so much for coming on maxine it's been really really helpful and um
1: yeah um, there's loads of stuff there for people that's going to help them so yeah really appreciate that well thank you for having me louise it's been lovely